From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Rick Lewis on glaucoma technologies, recorded live at the 2013 ASCRS Winter Update. Uh, right now, we, we don't have pressure control and we don't have adherence. And so a uh, big emphasis by all of the major pharmaceutical companies involved in ophthalmology is directed at drug delivery. First this. This year's ASCRS annual symposium was great. I learned a lot that I'm applying to my practice right now. If I have any complaint, it's that I couldn't get to all the sessions I wanted to because some of them overlapped. That's why I'm so excited about the new ASCRS Media Center. More than 1,300 sessions from that meeting are now available through this great new resource. See what you missed or revisit the most interesting sessions. The Media Center is free to all meeting attendees. Stay tuned after the podcast for more information. When you think of the ASCRS, Glaucoma surgery, diagnostics, and medication may not come to mind, but the development of MIGS may change all that. Rick Lewis chaired a session on new glaucoma technologies at Winter Update, and I had the fortune of speaking with him afterward. Listeners to a scene from here have already heard a brief excerpt from this interview live from the meeting. Today, we'll hear the complete conversation. Rick, the glaucoma section was really helpful. We spoke about both diagnostics and uh, new surgeries. Let's start out from a diagnostic standpoint and and start out with something really basic. You you described how OCT can standardize the the measurement of of the disc, which is something that, you know, frankly, up until now has been pretty non-standard. There's been... uh... Tremendous innovation in the diagnosis of glaucoma over the past 10, 15 years. The, uh, starting off with visual fields, going from Goldman, uh, man, handled by a technician, onto automated perimetry uh, and the sophistication of the software programs uh, have allowed us to get reproducible visual fields, of course, on the assumption that the patient is cooperative. Now, not all patients are cooperative, but when we can get a reliable patient, we get reliable visual fields. And uh, as the software has progressed, uh, been able to create progression analysis programs that are able to compare one test to another. Uh, The same thing now has occurred with uh, OCT. Spectral domain OCT, the next level of sophistication, a, a much higher number of uh, scans per second, have allowed very detailed analysis of the disc and the nerve fiber layer so that we can uh, be able to compare patient to patient and patients to a normative patient population. And uh, it uh, has substantially increased our understanding of the disc and the nerve fiber layer as, as deterioration occurs in glaucoma. One of the things that I found in my own practice, when I first started doing retina nerve fiber layer scans of the disc, particularly the first time that I would do it on a patient, is is that it left me with the impression that I really knew what was going on with the disc. But then with subsequent scans, I could see that there was a lot of variability in the readings, what you called noise. You described in your talk today um, how progression software 
can uh, help us filter out some of that noise, help us make sense of the variability that we're getting in the readings. How, how does that work, Rick? Uh, well, again, uh, using at least the Zeiss formula for doing this, uh, whether it's the Humphrey or the uh, OCT, two baseline visual fields or two baseline OCTs are necessary to establish that at ground level. Uh, and then from that data, uh, you can take a series of, of se sequential visual fields and compare it to baseline and determine progression. And what it graphs out is the slope of change. And, uh, you know, with significant number of visual fields, you begin to filter out the noise and you can really get to determine a trend. Um, and so glaucoma change is slow. However, we've had visual fields for 15, 20 years now, and we've all accumulated enough visual fields in these patients to begin to really determine trends that suggest progression or not. Uh, and so looking at isolated uh, patients every four to six months with fluctuating pressures isn't necessarily an indication that they're getting worse or, or better. Uh, you know, we all know that the only time patients take their medications on a regular basis is when they come to see us, and because of that adherence compliance problem, um, the uh, periods in between those examinations is when damage is going to occur. And we're not going to assess it by, by checking pressures. We're going to assess it by progression analysis, visual field, and OCT software. And to the extent that, that, that this diagnostic testing has, has, has really gotten better and is showing us things in, in more standard and more detailed ways than we had previously, are you still doing stereo disc photos? Uh, that's a, an important question. You know, in, in whenever I've given a talk like this and I've sampled the audience, very few people actually have stereo disc photography. Uh, it's usually the minority of patients. Almost everybody has spectral domain OCT, one form or another, and there's about a half a dozen manufacturers. So we don't all have the same machine, but we all have some version of spectral domain OCT. Uh, and uh, the problem with photography is that uh, that. Uh, people had, uh, it was expensive to obtain, it was difficult to find places to, to put your pictures, so you often took the pictures and then they were stored somewhere else or they were kept in the camera. And so getting access to those pictures when the patients came in for the examination was not always always viable. Uh, therefore, spectrum main OCT, which prints out, is available. It also is reproducible on your uh, electronic medical records. It's, it's much easier to manage the patient data with uh, spectrum and OCT. Now, you could argue the same thing for pictures, but it still required a, a good technician to obtain good stereo disc. That's exactly right, that, 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 the, that the skill level needed for uh, performing these automated tests like a, like a retinal neurofibrillator scan, it, it, frankly, there's, there's less skill, there's, there's less training that's, that's involved. Uh, compared to getting really good stereo disc right, exactly. And so now, you know, it's, it's sort of simplified it and it made it more ubiquitous. ubiquitous. Uh, it would be nice if the software was transferable because when a patient transfers care from one doctor to another, sometimes the software is different or the OCT is different. Uh, but the, I think the, the measurements are similar and, and, and we can at least get a sense, whereas uh, the pictures were, di were just were not always obtainable. You couldn't, you couldn't get them. They weren't transferred with the medical records. And so I think that it, the world has, has – I, I still like pictures when they're available, but do I, I, I actually don't have a serodis photography that we use on a regular basis. Well, I think that there's a number of other aspects now of the diagnostic part of the exam. I mean, certainly pachymetry is a standard part of uh, a glaucoma workup. Gonioscopy is a standard part of a glau glaucoma workup. Uh, 
frequently not performed. And, uh, and I think it's unfortunate that gonioscopy plays a, a really critical role in our diagnosis. Uh, it's a reimbursable part of the diagnostic exam, and yet frequently doctors don't do it. Uh, I, we have shown in, 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 in various, at various talks I've given that uh, um, you, having uh, the OCT to do angle imaging is very valuable uh, for a number of reasons. One is it documents the appearance of the angle. Two, it's a very valuable tool for patient education. Uh, when you have a patient who's referred to you for narrow angles and, and they usually never, they don't understand what the diagnosis is or what it implies, having a printout of the angle taken on, on uh, angle imaging OCT is invaluable to explain to the patient why their angle is, gonna, is, is either closed or about to close off and why laser iridotomy is a, uh, a viable therapeutic option. And frankly, it, 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 it makes the, the, the conversation, the chair time with the patient shorter because you show them an anatomical drawing of what an angle should look like and you show them theirs and the conversation's pretty much over there. It is. It, and it's very, it's very easy to, to justify the iridotomy to the patient. They, they, they stop questioning and they really, you know, sort of buy into the, to the diagnosis and treatment. Rick, you mentioned that there are some new avenues uh, for therapeutics uh, that are that are going to be coming out, not out just yet, uh, but that may decrease the dependence on drops even for giving patients medications. I'm not talking about surgery here. Yeah, there, there's a, there's a, a few new medications that are that are in phase three clinical trials that will add to our our medical options, our pharmaceutical options uh, for treating glaucoma. Uh, and, and almost equally important is work in a different area, which is drug delivery. A lot of companies are pursuing drug delivery systems to get away from uh, eye drop application. Um, if we could, if we had a delivery system that could be placed in or around the eye, that could deliver drug for three to four to six months or a year, uh, we would eliminate this adherence problem. And then the only question is, do we have control, pressure control? Uh, right now, we, we don't have pressure control and we don't have adherence. And so a uh, big emphasis by all of the major pharmaceutical companies involved in ophthalmology is directed at drug delivery. So there are punctal plug deliveries. There are uh, drug applications placed inside the eye. Uh, there are a variety of different applications that are being tested. Uh, some are in uh, phase two and phase three trials. So I would, I would expect that it's certainly in the next five years that the uh, standard way of treating glaucoma will be very different. It will not probably imply an eye drop. It'll apply delivering a drug through a different means. And a lot of this is based on, uh, on the use of Avastin Lucentis in which um, the drug is delivered and lasts six weeks and then they have to, of course, do another pars plane injection. These applications will be placed in or around the eye, probably inside the eye, uh, and delivered for four to six months. And it'd be a wonderful way to manage glaucoma. Rick, you showed several new devices that uh, that are being used or are going to be used surgically. Can can I get you to just kind of run them down for us now? The surgical management of glaucoma has uh, always been challenged by the number of complications and side effects. And uh, that has created a barrier for most non-glaucoma specialists to jump into the glaucoma surgical arena. They're, they're, they, they can certainly perform trabeculectomies, but they don't like or don't want to manage the complications because they're, they're very challenging. 
And unless you're doing a large number of trabeculectomies, you just never feel that level of confidence. So the emphasis in the last 10 years has been to develop uh, devices that are uh, easier to place um, and have much, much, much less uh, in the way of complications. So we're, we're talking now about the MIGS category of surgical procedures, which is microincisional glaucoma surgery. And the first one that was, has been approved is the eye stent from glaucose. It was approved in June of uh, 2012. It is uh, commercially available, it is reimbursable by Medicare, and it is uh, indicated by the FDA for use in cataract surgery or after cataract surgery uh, where a stent, a one millimeter stent is placed through the direct device work into the canal system. And this um, device is an adjunct, uh, gives you a chance to get the pressures back down into the, into the mid-teens, um, hopefully getting patients off at least a a few of their medications and maybe all of their medications. Um, much safer, very few, less, less, much, much less in the way of side effects uh, and uh, relatively straightforward to place. But the doctor has to do, who does this has to begin to do colonoscopy and feel comfortable with colonoscopy, particularly in the uh, OR setting. Aside from those of us who suture in lenses or mechanical sutures, for fixing iris root problems, most of us are, are, are not used to operating uh, in this sort of ab internal way that, uh, that a lot of the devices that, that, you, that you mentioned require. How, how hard is it to, to, to get used to operating from, from that vantage? And uh, as you said, operating uh, with an intraoperative gonioscopy lens. You know, there's a couple of specific uh, gonio prisms that are that are manufactured for an OR setting. One is the uh, Swan Jacobs uh, lens that's been around for you know, good 10, 20 years now. Uh, a more a more recent uh, innovation has been a lens, a gonio prism that Steve Vold created. Um, I believe it's Volk who is distributing uh, Steve Vold's lens. And, and these are lenses that are, are placed uh, on top of the cornea. Usually you put a contact lens solution on the eye, which could be, uh, um, in my case, I use viscoelastic. Whatever viscoelastic I'm using at the surgeries, I apply that to the cornea. And then I put the uh, gonio prism on top of that. It, um, it, uh, the, the, trick, the trick to doing gonioscopy at the t in the OR is to uh, position the patient properly. So you have to rotate the patient's head away from you rotate their eye or have them look in the opposite direction of you, and then rotate the head of the microscope towards you. And that creates the angle that you need to image the, uh, the anatomy uh, at the peripheral iris. It's really not difficult to do, and I, what I encourage doctors to do is to practice at the time of cataract surgery using a gonio prism in this setting without even doing you know, eye stent surgery, but just get comfortable you know, being able to rotate the patient, rotate the microscope, and look uh, carefully at the angle. And, you know, it's, it's really not very difficult. There's an excellent website called uh, gonioscopy.org that Lee Allward has created. Um, he's at the University of Iowa. It's a website that's free for anyone who's interested in understanding the anatomy of the angle and, and looking at different uh, angle um, uh, structures. It's a great way to, to, to practice before you go to the OR, and then you should practice in the OR before you actually do your first case. 
Rick, you mentioned one procedure uh, w w for MIGS. Uh, can can you tell me what else is going to be coming up, uh, uh, coming down the, the, the pike for us? Yeah. So the, the MIGS category uh, includes a number of ab internal procedures. Uh, one, one group works in the canal system, uh, such as the eye stent, and then there's a, a second canal-based procedure called the Hydrus, which is from a company, Ivantis. They're in clinical trials right now. Uh, their project, uh, their study should be completed within about a year, and hopefully we'll have it on the market within about two or three years. Uh, so we have the canal-based procedures. We also have supracoidal-based procedures. Transcend and Glaucos have d different devices working in that supracoidal space. Uh, the data is, has not come out yet, and uh, that looks promising. And then the third avenue is something that we've been doing all along, but now is an ab internal uh, uh, scleral-based procedure where we're able to pass a uh, gelatin implant uh, across the anterior chamber through the sclera under the conjunctiva and simulating what we get with a trabeculectomy, but in a much more controlled fashion without manipulation of the conjunctiva. So th these three... Uh, mechanisms of action for the mixed procedures offer real opportunity in a variety of different settings to control glaucoma. The videos uh, really look great. Rick Lewis, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. Rick Lewis is past president of the American Glaucoma Society and is in private practice in Sacramento, California. Here's some additional information about the new ASCRS Media Center. Almost all of the 2012 ASCRS ASOA meeting was audio and video recorded, and there are now more than 1,300 sessions featuring almost 1,000 speakers available online. You can view the general sessions, ASCRS paper sessions, symposia, films and posters, plus select courses and ASOA sessions on business management. It's essentially the entire meeting, anytime you want, and it's all available through the new ASCRS Media Center. If you attended the meeting, your Media Center access is free. If you're a current ASCRS or ASOA member but didn't attend, you can still see everything that you missed for the member price of $199. If you're not an ASCRS member, you can still purchase the Media Center, or better yet, Join us and get the lower member price. To view the 2012 meeting through the Media Center, visit the ASCRS website at www.ascrs.org. If you're already a member, log in first and then click the Media Center link. If you're a guest, just click the Media Center link at the top of the page. From there, you can purchase the Chicago 2012 package or, better yet, Join the ASCRS and receive the discounted member price. Ask questions of Dr. Lewis or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.